Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today I have with me in this beautiful studio at Spurgeon Library in Midwestern Seminary, uh, my colleague, my friend, once again, Ronnie Kurtz. Uh, Ronnie is a pastor at Emmaus Church here in Kansas City. Uh, he's also a PhD student here at the seminary, and we're work colleagues as well. He works right across the hall from me as the marketing and social media manager. Ronnie, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. Um, as I explained in the last episode that you joined me for, uh, the reason I have you here is because I've been told I stink when I'm by myself. <laughs> so one of my Australian friends told me that. Uh, he said, it's always better when you have a guest. And I thought, well, okay. I don't want to kill the solo episodes, so we'll just make it not a solo solo episode. Well, I can only imagine that I compound the stench. So. Yeah, so you'll be uh, who is the um, the guy with um, Johnny Car? You'll be my Ed McMahon. There you go. Or for the uh, for the millennials out there, I suppose you'll be my Andy Richter to <laughs> my to the Conan O'Brien uh, or something like that. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll you'll, take it. You'll yeah, be I'll take the it. you'll be the sidekick. Is what I'm saying. Less important than me, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, here for um, rapport. Yeah. And, the looks uh, of an audio podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you know, what's interesting, though, is that the sidekick always brings, like, the humor to the straight man. And I feel like it's the opposite here. Like, you actually bring the theological credibility. <laughs> and me as the host, I, I, I bring the, okay, it's time for a joke. Let's, like, yeah. let's just make it not seriously. Um, our subject today for this episode is actually uh, not a joke, but actually pretty um, serious. And something that I think, it's played churches ever since there's been a church, right? Um uh, which is where I hope we'll take it to the scriptures in in seeking um, how we address the issue. Um, well, depending on what the root is, um, I, I think it's a hunger for power that explains some of the newspaper headlines, social media headlines we've been seeing lately. Mm. Uh, the most recent, of course, um, would be last week, uh, James McDonald was fired by um, his network of churches, by his church harvest in Chicago. Uh, for a variety of things, I think what put it over the, over the edge was some um, recorded audio of things, disparaging things he was saying about certain people and, and so on and so forth. Um, but we've just seen this long stream, probably beginning with kind of the even the Me Too movement, chickens coming home to roost, sin being exposed. Um, you look at uh, everything from the fall of Mark Driscoll uh, for verbal abuse and all those sorts of things to Bill Hybels' fall also in Chicago at Willow Creek. And although the the outward manifestation of these sins uh, can be different, right? So not all these are sexual harassment type deals. Some of them are just anger issues or temper or what have you. I'm trying to figure out at the root what is the common denominator, right? And I think we would just we would say pride, or we would say sin, or we'd say pride. But um, and I don't know if you agree necessarily, but I think that there may be something about this, uh, especially as people like build these platforms and uh, begin to need to control things more, that there's a hunger for power. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the only thing that I can sort of, um, you know, put my finger on is kind of the the root of all of this rottenness that comes about. And as I begin to think about that, I begin to think like this isn't just for the celebrity megachurch guy, you know, building his empire. This is for all of us in our local churches. Um, So I thought you and I would talk about this for a little bit. how do we stay vigilant against power hunger in the church, both for the pastorate and for those in the pews and for all of us together? Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is sort of the, the root? How does this take root? Okay, let's talk about pastors first or those in leadership in general. 
How does it begin? What's the, if we want to call it a slippery slope, what are the first few steps maybe that someone mm-hmm. might take um, that should be sort of uh, alarm bells about being hungry for power? Yeah, this is going to surprise you. I'm going to okay. want to root it in theology. Oh. Uh, I think the, the beginning, the, the kind of the foundation of where that happens, and if we're frank, I think there's a little bit of it in, in each of us. And so um, whether that manifests itself in a, a strong desire for recognition or, or um, being downcast when recognition doesn't happen or what have yeah. you, I think there's that it kind of shows up in a lot of us. I think you can, uh, social media is kind of a megaphone for it. But I think it's rooted in theology, uh, which probably doesn't surprise you. And I think as we think about the gospel and you think about something like Philippians 2, for example, where Jesus seems to take this path of descent, which is what we see him take over and over. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, you know, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. And you kind of see this path of descent that he has uh, G.I. Packer worded it in Knowing God. Uh, he calls it the Christmas spirit, which is the, the principle that Jesus lives his life on, which is a principle of spending and being spent for the good of others. Uh, there's this path of descent. He's always coming downward. And my, my fear is that we haven't rooted Christian service in that similar pattern, yeah. downward mobility. Uh, we live in an age of upward mobility. And I think my worry for pastors for laymen, for, for just about anybody, can be that as Jesus is coming on his path of descent, we end up waving by to him on our path of ascent as mm. we, uh, we, we seek to gain followers and platform and recognition. And, and it's especially easy for the pastor whose role is such that people are looking to him frequently yeah. uh, to, to, to start to let that go to your head and assume that you should take a path of ascent. And the scary thing, Jared, is it's even, it's even easy to couch it in godliness, whether that's worded as ambition or that the, the bigger my voice is, the more the people will hear it. And, of course, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, just those kinds of assumptions lead to the, the power chase to be somewhat of an easy chase. Yeah, and, and we'll spiritualize it sometimes and say, you know, like he's God's man for Absolutely. this role. Um, you know, we use the anointing language perhaps or even a misunderstanding of call, you know, of call mm. to ministry and and that sort of thing. Um, I do think that there's something to this, um, you know, those who are not rooted in sort of a, you know, Christocentric understanding of, of mm. just their life, right? The, who aren't in touch with their union with Christ necessarily? That the the cliche of absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Mm-hmm. So you just get you get a taste of being in charge, of being seen as the guy, and as everything's being sort of built up around, right? Um, one well-known fallen pastor um, was reported to have said at you know a meeting about you know promoting a new church series. I'm the brand, mm-hmm. he said, and I think, man, that's first of all. How could that come out of your mouth and then you not immediately be convicted about what you're saying, right. right, that you're the brand? And the fact that you would say that without a sense of irony, without a sense of humor, um, you know, unchecked. But there are many of us who we're tempted to think that way. We're That's all right. at different levels in terms of platform and what have you. And so I'm even thinking of the small church guy who is functioning at a church where he's expected to be kind of the, 
oh, for lack of a better word, kind of the the functional Messiah, right? Like, you know, he he supplies the ministry. Everyone else supplies the need for it. Mm. And you can go one of two ways with that. For some personalities, it's a very burdensome thing that begins to weary you and you hit the burnout. Um, other guys, man, they love it. It's like, I'm Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's right. got to go through me. And so, you know, no matter what your context or the size of your context, you kind of um, run the risk of this getting a little bit of taste of, man, I'm the man, mm. and it begins to take over. Um, most recently as well, alongside sort of the James McDonald stories, is uh, within our own – well, McDonald um, is uh, – his church recently joined the Southern Baptist Convention. But what we've seen is uh, Houston Chronicle uh, releasing right. this three-part series uh, investigating – Essentially, um, the the plague of sexual abuse and um, molestation and and uh, essentially just a misogynistic mm. poison um, in the SBC and a system of cover ups and pastors who have been shifted from one church to another and that sort of thing. And there's been a lot of you know criticism of of uh, SBC and autonomy. Right, this is one of the hallmarks of the Southern Baptist Convention. And generally of some Baptists um, that, you know, we protect the autonomy of the local congregation. And some have used that to say this is why we, you know, it's, it's very difficult for us to police this or what have you. Others are saying it's time to get rid of auto- autonomy as I began to kind of like look through this and think. I, I don't know that that's the issue. Mm. Um, you can have accountability and, a, 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 you know, congregational autonomy at the same time. Absolutely. So if, if that's if autonomy isn't the issue, and maybe you think it is or has something to do with it, um, what is? How does an autonomous congregation stay vigilant about that sort of thing, people who um, would exploit others, whether they're pastors or, or someone in the pew, predators, for instance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and let me say I do doctrinally I, and convictionally I do hold to church autonomy. I think it's a good move. Um, I didn't. I wasn't raised in a Christian household. I'm not. I'm not Christian by tradition, and yeah. therefore I'm not Baptist by tradition. I am. I'm Baptist by conviction. Uh, happily so. I found myself here and through doctrinal study and, and a number of of other items. And so I do believe in the autonomy of the local church. I think that's a good right move for us in terms of our ecclesiology. However, I, I do want to join the avalanche of voices who have been remarkably helpful in the wake of the Houston Chronicle uh, story to say unequivocally that autonomy is not a good excuse to not deal properly with sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, just 100% without exception, autonomy is not a reason to not report sexual abuse and not to deal with sexual abuse in the proper methods, uh, including legal methods, uh, and must be dealt with, with with much more severity in the Southern Baptist Convention. So then to answer your question more directly, I think it is, it's rooted in sin. Um, I can't, as a Christian, I, I can't find any other place to root this unbelievable evil that would, that would prey on uh, the weak. And, and when, what you see in sexual abuse, again, it's the, I don't have to tell you, Jared, you're the, you're the gospel center king here but but the, but uh but but the gospel speaks such a contrary word to the to the mindset of sexual abuse the the mindset of sexual abuse is i have a need and i'm going after the weak to yeah. fulfill my need whereas the gospel says i jesus says i am strong 
and I'm laying my life and needs down for the sake of the weak. Mm. And so, so this move of sexual abuse is so anti-gospel. And as, if we want to be gospel people in our local churches, that means we have to be anti-abuse. Yeah. And we have to be anti-sin that leads to this abuse. And when abuse occurs, we, we've got to do whatever it takes uh, to get rid of it and to uh, bring the sin into the light. Yeah, and I think the way this connects back to the idea of power hunger is sometimes in the response to um, allegations, um, you know, well-founded um, you know, accusations and that sort of thing. The impulse is to protect those with power rather That's than right. those who have been victimized. That's right. And mm. to do that is is essentially to feed, you know, the, the you know the hunger for power. Exactly. Right. And and so I'm trying to figure out like well, why is the impulse? Um, we say we're trying to protect the church or what have you, by but what we're doing is protecting mm. those with power and at the expense of those without. You know, those who have been rendered powerless. So how do we empower those who've been victimized, and how do we hold accountable those uh, with power? And I think this is true even for, you know, quote-unquote, innocent pastors. One way we stay vigilant is by insisting on the biblical qualifications for eldership, right? right? I mean, it's not going to solve every problem because um, even, you know, qualified pastors disqualify themselves or, you know, fall or what have you. But as a bare minimum, right, these things are in the Bible to help us yes. and to set up guardrails. And we've just been speaking about sort of the consumeristic approach to um, pastoral ministry and the way churches you know, look for leaders and that sort of thing, those on the ascent or those who seem to be um, you know, ascendant personalities and what have you. And you know, we just seem to give short shrift to um, what the scriptures lay out for us, um, you know, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5. That we're looking for people who are gentle and not quarrelsome, and um, you know, just thinking of some of the headlines that we've seen, and I begin to think some of these problems could be avoided if we actually insisted. That's exactly right on the accountability that we find in the biblical qualifications for eldership. I also just think not just plurality of eldership that there's multiple pastors, but that there's parity among them. Absolutely. So in, in a lot of these churches that have, you know, pastors who eventually get fired because something terrible has come out in public, but something terrible, you know, terrible has been going on in private for a long time. They have a board of yes men mm. or mm. maybe they're not yes men, but they're just weak and they're not, and they're passive and they don't, you know, they don't know how to handle the issue. And so there's not real parity. That's right. Um, so how do we insist on that? Like what can a congregation do or, or, how can a church structure itself or um, aspire to a vision that makes sure that, you know, even a lead guy, right? So I don't think it's wrong for church to have a lead pastor or what have you. But w- what can we do to make sure that lead guy doesn't begin to think, you know, I'm I'm the man. Yeah, and, absolutely. What a good question. <laughs> and you guys are lesser than me. You yeah, know? that's right. Yeah, so I, uh, I serve at a church as a pastor, uh, as you mentioned, and we have four elders um, so far in our, our church plant. And I was one of the planting pastors. Uh, one of the other planting pastors is still there. And we, we have sought to, to find parity as we're raising up guys in terms of personality preferences and, and obviously in life stages. And, um, you know, we, we want to be able to represent the, the people well. And sometimes that, that's a question that needs to be there as people are thinking through which guys to raise up in that is not only is he qualified, but does does he – does he fit this culture in terms of like it, I, I don't want to put pastoral ordination or what have you on a felt need, 
right? Yeah. You're, you're, you don't want to do that. that. That's a pendulum swing. But that is one of the things we ask as we're looking at elder candidates is, is he going to fit the culture here? And um, is he going to add something to this elder team? And, and, and we've even expressed concern about uh, someone being, you know, a yes man too much to, to me or to another one of the elders. And, and you, just, you have to be vigilant on, on watching that kind of thing because if the elder team becomes an echo chamber of one person, then you don't have an elder team. Mm. You have the CEO model with an echo chamber. Yeah. And, and that's just not helpful to, to him or to the elder board or to, to the local church. Um, and and that, that can be detrimental. Yeah, let's uh, take a break here and hear a word from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry contact. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're speaking with Ronnie Kurtz, who's joining me in the studio today. We're talking about staying vigilant against power hunger in the church. I think this has multiple applications. Um, Power hunger is manifested in multiple ways. We've been talking about some of the uh, headlines that we've been seeing in the evangelical um, Twitter sphere and uh, on the blogs and just in the newspaper headlines even. But I think there is a lot of application to be made just for the, the ordinary church or maybe outside the sphere, outside the orbit of the sensational headlines or, um, you know, sort of the exposés that are taking place. Maybe you don't even have these issues yet. You haven't faced, you know, the, you know, you don't know, you're not aware of any um, active predators in your church or what have you. Um, but you're just sort of dealing with the everyday garden variety, um, messy people living in a messy world, trying to do covenant community together, staying vigilant against power hunger. How do you ensure, Ronnie, um, parity among pastors like we were just discussing in in the average church? What are some things applicationally you can do? I mean, obviously in, in, in the bylaws or in the governance somehow – you know, you have uh, allowance for equal votes on certain things that pastors are deciding on or what have you. But what are just some sort of practical things that you could adopt that would communicate to the congregation, but also just, you know, among the pastors that no one pastor is more important than the other or more powerful than mm-hmm. another? Absolutely. Uh, let me just speak on a personal level just because, I, again, I am a pastor who serves with other pastors um, who I deeply love and admire and and one of the things that I admire about them is that they they can be impressed with me without being impressed by me. You know, yeah. they, 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 they're they for me. The other three guys who serve on our pastoral team, I know they're for me. They, they, they express it. I've seen it. I have testimony after testimony of them demonstrating um, they're in my corner. And at the same time, that doesn't mean they don't have the ability or the voice to call me out at a moment's notice. They're, they're not so impressed with me or so in my corner that they, they, they won't do that. And in fact, just about all three of them have done so in different areas. And, and they expect that I would do the same thing for them. And so I, I think that just has to be 
prioritized. If it takes you spending some of your elder meetings just hanging out to where you're developing the kind of relationship where you can easily say, brother, I think you're wrong. You should do that. Uh, You should take that kind of time to develop those kinds of relationships. And then in terms of the people, to show the people, I I think pastors of local churches, and this would help with with so many things, uh, multiple that we've already talked about, is just ask yourself consistently, am I being transparent enough with the people? Mm. Is my transparency leading to their good? Now, I do think there's there's ways where you can take that too far and, um, you know, you can kind of turn the pulpit or or membership meetings or any time the, the pastor is in front of the people, that can kind of become a, a pity party or here's here's like look at me stories. Yeah, yeah. So you can take it too far. But I do think uh, you should be wise on transparency. Let the people in on the process. Um, this is obviously rooted a little bit easier if you have some Baptist polity in terms of congregationalism. But even if you don't, uh, even if you don't have those kinds of structures built into your church government, uh, you've got to be transparent with, with the people and and let them hold you accountable um, because they should. You're, you're their pastor and, and they should hold you accountable ultimately. Yeah, you know, I think of um, the way some congregations – uh, even with those that have a plurality of eldership, right? So if you have a mix of, um, you know, vocational elders and lay elders, sometimes it's it's this unspoken sort of uh, becomes part of the culture, right? That the the lay elders aren't aren't the real pastors right. or something like that. So uh, I mean, I even think of um, the examples of you know like hospital visitation, and uh, this has happened in, in in my own church, and it's uh, um, you know happened among uh, those that I. I know where they'll say, you know, if the lead guy doesn't go visit someone and it's like it doesn't catch, it's not a real visit, Ugh. right? You get you get visited by another pastor and, I, you know, one of the lay elders comes to visit you. And I always think that should be actually more impressive that the guy who yes. it's not his full-time job to minister exactly right. is taking time to come see you. You should be more impressed by that, Absolutely. that he's actually, you know, you, you should value that. So, you know, I've thought through um, what are some ways we just sort of not subconsciously, but implicitly, you know, sort of communicate to the congregation that, no, we're all pastors, we're all real pastors. Uh, you know, there may be one guy who does most of the preaching and who's kind of the lead guy or he's the full-time guy or whatever it is, um, you know, but that doesn't make, you know, him more powerful or the other guy's less of a pastor. And there, I just think there's some little ways to do that. And one is um, to share the preaching load more That's often, right. right? So there's nothing wrong with, you know, one guy being the primary preaching voice or what have you. But the more you let others into the pulpit, the more you're sort of affirming their legitimacy, not creating it because they're legitimate by the fact that they're a pastor of the church. But you're affirming it for the congregation. There's That's something right. about somebody preaching that over time um, it comes with that authority. I mean the pulpit has authority attached to it. So people begin to see, oh, mm-hmm. okay, they can trust this person who's who's feeding me kind of thing. I also think just the way we introduce people. So I love it. Um, I'm a member at Liberty Baptist in northeast Kansas City. And the way even our lead guy, Nathan, introduces himself, he says, uh, I'm Nathan Rose. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, those of us who've been there, like we know he's the lead guy or he's the full-time guy or what have you. We have two full-time pastors. But, um, you know, everyone just says, I'm one of the pastors here. Yeah. And I think just that little subtle thing Absolutely. Com- just communicates that, oh, it's a team of pastors. One's not more important or more powerful than another. Those are just some ways, I think, to kind of get around that. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, language is so important when it comes to church life and 
and doing something as simple as saying I'm one of the pastors can help. Yeah. Um, so I think just to sort of wrap it up, one thing that we should look at kind of coming full circle back to the biblical qualifications, obviously it's not going to solve every problem um, that we have. As long as there are people in a church, there'll be sin in a church and sometimes um, even the most heinous of sins. And yet um, if we are serious about reforming this thing and writing this thing, I think individual congregations or those of you who are in denominations that have presbyteries or, you know, associational hierarchies and what have you, um, everybody needs to get serious about the fact that the Bible outlines that the church is to be led by shepherds, right? Pastors, not personalities. So when we stop thinking of the church as a consumer good, we'll stop thinking of our pastors as performers or as Ronnie was speaking Amen. about the ascendant personalities who are trying to build a platform, um, you know, but really just uh, men who meet the biblical qualifications, want to serve the church well, and um, if platform comes, uh, they have the right accountability and, um, you know, plurality and parity mm. to kind of keep some of this danger in check. And really the only solution against power hunger is to understand that really, you know, the omnipotent God has, <laughs> uh, has the power that we need through his Holy Spirit. There's nothing in us. Um, that uh, is deserving of, um, yeah, being all reaching and, right. and all seen and what have you. So uh, I hope this is helpful to you. Um, we're just speaking about staying vigilant. It gets power hunger in the church and it infects uh, wherever sinners are present. So it includes not just the pastorate, but um, the laity as well. And I think together uh, we're not going to figure out how to solve this sin problem in the world, but uh, the Lord is faithful and he will do it. Um, and so we just need to stay humble, stay low, and stay close to his grace. And um, we can actually protect the most vulnerable among us if mm. uh, we'll keep them in mind uh, before ourselves. Mm. Thank you for listening to the For the Church podcast. If you like us, as always, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes or your platform of choice. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.